Amen. Well, good evening. It's on holidays like this when I'm reminded that I'm, I'm distant from my mom, my extended family, but I'm, I'm ever more grateful for my church family here. So thanks for being here tonight. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 37. We'll be looking at one of King Hezekiah's prayers tonight. Probably one you've read if you've read the Old Testament multiple times. As you're turning there, let me remind you of a few things about King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the good kings of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And he did what the Bible says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Um, I think all of you are familiar with the Bible, but in case someone here is not, Hezekiah's story is found in multiple places. 2 Kings 18 through 20, 2 Chronicles 29 through 32, Isaiah 36 through 39, where we'll be tonight, and he's referenced in several other books of the Bible. So a pretty prominent character. Apart from King David and King Solomon, he's one of the most significant and good kings in the Old Testament. And it's also significant to note that he ruled um, during the time that the northern kingdom, Israel, fell to the Assyrians. Uh, in 722 B.C., so that's, that's very important uh, in Israel's history. The Lord would have likely given Judah the very same curse had it not been for Hezekiah's faithfulness to the Lord. Even though both his father Ahaz and his son Manasseh were wicked kings of Judah, Hezekiah's obedient life points us backward to the covenant blessings of the law, and it looks forward to the righteous king who would sit on the throne forever, promised by the Davidic covenant, and that is our King, King Jesus. So as you're reading through, if you feel like you're reading the same thing twice, you are. Uh, that's, that's, that's good. The Lord wants us, uh, wants us to remember this. So he's put it in his word multiple times. So I'm going to begin reading now in verse 8 of Isaiah 37. Hear the word of the Lord. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, For he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning uh, Tirhaka, king of Cush. He has set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden, who were in Telazar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sevarim? You can read it. The king of Henna, or the king of Iva. I did practice this. Well, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, 
You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he had sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks, and we thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us ears to hear all that you would say to us tonight, that we may know you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A friend of mine with a difficult diagnosis went to the doctor, and the doctor explained the recommended treatment. At the end, he said, and if that doesn't work, there's always God. Well, when do you pray? How bad does it have to get before you pray? Have you ever been so desperate that the only place that you could go was to your knees in prayer? Well, that's where Hezekiah is at the moment of this prayer. I've broken this message into two points. First, the king's action, and second, the king's prayer. First, the king's action. Look at verses 14 through 15. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Well, look at Hezekiah's response here. The Rabshakeh's previous mockery of the Lord, found in chapter 36, led Hezekiah to tear his clothes and send for Isaiah the prophet. But he doesn't do that a second time. Instead, he goes straight to the temple and lays the letter before the Lord in prayer. He calls on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Hezekiah and his army is physically no match for the Assyrians. If Judah's army was strong, they would have already fought back and ended the siege of Jerusalem. This is not a physical battle, although the Assyrians were an imminent physical threat to Judah. What we have here is a battle of gods. Hezekiah is no stranger to spiritual warfare. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people were worshiping it instead of God. Now with his house in order, he faces the same challenge from the pagan Assyrians. Is the Rabshakeh correct that the God of Judah is weak like all the other gods of the nations that Assyria had conquered? Is Yahweh able to deliver them from Sennacherib, or has he deceived the people as the Rabshakeh claims? Will the Lord be mocked, or is he able to be trusted? Hezekiah sends no response back to win the argument. Instead, he prays to the Lord. He is determined to let God fight this battle against the one who has attacked and mocked his divine power. Was that your response when you get challenged? Do you argue or do you pray? I want to focus the balance of our time on the specifics of Hezekiah's prayer. So look next at the king's prayer, beginning in verse 16. And notice 
what he says as I read the prayer again. If you write in the Bibles, in your Bibles, circle the word Lord every time it appears. Lord is how virtually every English Bible translates Yahweh, the specific name of the God of Israel and Judah. And then underline every time you see the word God or gods as I read this. Verse 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the, Assyri the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Just circling Lord and underlining God, you can see exactly what this prayer is about. It is about the who. Who is the Lord? Who is the real God? Hezekiah comes to Yahweh asking him to show the Assyrians who the real God is. He asked the Lord two things. He asked him, look at the mockery and then make your name known by showing your power to save us. In his commentary on Isaiah, Alec Motyer reminds, the heart of prayer is not its petitionary content, but the acknowledgement of God. Let me repeat that. The heart of prayer is not its petitionary content, but the acknowledgement of God. Well, think about that. Who we pray to is the most important aspect of our prayers. Notice in verse 16, Hezekiah recognizes the God he is praying to in five specific ways. First, he says, Lord of hosts, which describes his personal omnipotence, his power. The NIV translates it as Lord Almighty. The name has a military flavor to it, the idea of the commander of an army. Yahweh has unlimited power. Second, God of Israel. Yahweh is the personal God of his chosen people. He has made himself known to Israel and uniquely dwells with Israel. It is through Israel that he makes himself known as the one true and living God to other nations. Third, Hezekiah says that Yahweh is enthroned above the cherubim a reference to the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, which you can look at in Exodus 37, 6 through 9, and it's explained a little more clearly in Psalm 99, 1, which says, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth quake. Yahweh is available and personally present with his people. Remember that Hezekiah is at the temple praying. Fourth, he says, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. 
recognizing that his, he has authority over both Judah and Assyria and every other kingdom. And fifth, he says, you have made heaven and earth. The appeal to the Creator in prayer is not, simple, is not a simple appeal to greatness or an, to abstract power, but specifically to the God who actually rules and determines all. Well, you would think under an imminent military threat, Hezekiah would skip over who God is and go straight to asking for deliverance. That's certainly what I would do. But no, his prayer is saturated and informed by who Yahweh is. He is zealous for the name of the Lord. When you pray, how do you recognize the Lord? Does it sound like, hallowed be thy name? Or does it sound like, please do this and that? You can spend a long time just acknowledging who God is without ever asking anything from Him. It is right to ask the Lord to act specifically, but we must not lose sight of who we are asking from. The very Creator, Sovereign, Omnipotent, Personal, Triune, One True and Living God. Take one or more of your prayer times this week just to focus on who He is without asking anything. Add a sentence or two recognizing who you were praying to before you thank Him for food, before meals, before any other prayers. This will help train your mind to think about the Lord and focus your request on His will and not your wants. We'll look back at how Hezekiah prays in verse 17. He speaks of the Lord as the living God, asking the Lord to listen, to hear, and to see the mockery the king has laid before him. Of course, he doesn't mean that Hezekiah, uh, this doesn't mean that Hezekiah thought that God would not know what was on the scroll unless he saw the physical copy that Sennac of Sennacherib's message. The scroll was simply a witness to the blasphemy of the Assyrians. Hezekiah is confident that if the living God acts, Sennacherib's army will be defeated. There will be no contest. The Lord's unlimited power will crush the Assyrians. In verses 18 and 19, he explains that Assyria has conquered the other nations, not because their gods were too weak, but because they were not gods at all. They were man-made gods which could just as easily be destroyed. They had no power. The Lord has no rivals. He is the omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty God. He is the one true and living God, whether we recognize Him correctly or not. I don't mean that we don't put idols and other things, including ourselves, in His rightful place in our lives. We do that all the time, and it is sin, right? It's no wonder why the first two of the Ten Commandments or you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. But what I mean when I say that the Lord has no rivals is that when we see the Lord and know Him, there is no contest. Think of Isaiah 6. When Isaiah sees the Lord, he is undone. If we look back to verse 20, 
The petition of Hezekiah is that the Lord would save them. He finally asked what we've been expecting him to say. Help, Lord. Save us, Lord. But look at why he asked for salvation. Hezekiah is not praying, save us, because I don't want to die. Although he prays for his health later in chapter 38. And he's not praying here, save us, because I want to rule the stronger and better kingdom. And he's not saying, I don't want to fight and to suffer. He's not even saying, Lord, show me your power. He already knows that Yahweh is almighty. No, Hezekiah grounds his request here for deliverance in Sennacherib's ignorance of who the Lord is. He says, deliver us that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. The other kingdoms know the strength and viciousness of the Assyrians. They know that Sennacherib has a formidable army. Hezekiah is confident that if Yahweh acts to save them from the Assyrians, then the other kingdoms will hear, and they will know that the Lord of Judah is the only real God. They will know that He alone is worthy of their worship, obedience, and fear. But the other kingdoms will lack that knowledge if the Lord allows the Assyrians to conquer Jerusalem. And they will continue to blaspheme the name of the Lord and worship other man-made gods. That's the root cause of the problem here. They do not know who the living God is. If Sennacherib knew, he would not mock. He would fear. He would not attack Jerusalem. Instead, he would empty his treasury and bring peace offerings to worship God in his temple in Jerusalem. Check yourself. Is the primary purpose of your prayers to bring glory to the name of God? To make Him known. If you've read the Bible, then you know that the Lord heard this unselfish prayer and He answered. Look at verses 30, verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that He came, by, that way, by the same way He shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adrimelech and Sharezer, his son, struck him down with the sword. Well, let me give you a few applications of the text as we close tonight. First, who is your God? Is it Yahweh, the one true and living God? Or is it a powerless idol? If you don't know now, you will know when you have a crisis in your life. In the moment of a crisis, you will either, either turn to the living God in prayer or you will turn to other idols in your life for comfort. Maybe it's sports or food or exercise or Netflix 
or alcohol or material possessions or medical science or whatever. If you're an unbeliever here tonight, then you already have a crisis in your life. You will die. The wages of sin is death. We will all die because we have all sinned against God and our sin has separated us from Him and condemns us to an eternity in hell. Hear the simple truth of Romans 10.13. Sounds a whole lot like Hezekiah's prayer. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Don't call on an abstract or man-made God who is powerless to save you. Call on the name of the Lord, the true and living God, the sovereign, almighty creator, the one who loved you so much that he sent his own son Jesus to pay the penalty of your sin by his death on the cross and demonstrated his power in his resurrection victory over death. This Lord and He alone has the power to save. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't understand this, please come talk to me or someone else here tonight about it so we can open the Bible with you and help you understand who this God is. Second, are you zealous for the name of the Lord? Do you understand that thousands of people in this community and millions around the world are just like other kingdoms in Hezekiah's day. They do not know the Lord. They know that they will die, but they do not believe that God has the power to save. They do not understand the gospel. My favorite missions book is John Piper's Let the Nations Be Glad. If you've not read it, I'd be happy to read it with you. The thesis is that missions exist because worship does not. Piper says, We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is, the, is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Indeed, the spiritual battle for the Lord's identity is still raging today. It's in the public square, in our workplaces, schools, and neighborhoods. It's in our homes, families, and friends. And the battle is raging in our hearts. Is there one true and living God, or is there only little g-gods powerless to save? Do you know the risen Christ? Do you believe that God answers prayer? Do you only pray when it gets really bad and have tried everything else? If we know the one true and living God, then let's discipline ourselves to pray to the Lord who is mighty to save. Let's pray now. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we know that it will not return void. 
We thank you that you are the Almighty, and therefore we can pray big prayers. And Lord, ask you that you would make your name known to every person in this community of Westchester, and that you would use this church on that mission to make your name known, to spread your gospel, and to know your truth, so that everyone here will know who you are. We know that in the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But Father, we ask that you would act as only you can to save. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.